Before I start this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just a quick note of thanks to Sora Shimazaki, who took the photograph which adorns the cover art. Welcome to This Week in Financial Crime. I'm your host, Chris Kirkbride. As ever with financial crime, there's always a decent range of stories to ensure that things never really get boring. A little bit on sanctions, uh, an interesting range of fraud stories, and two interesting bits of news out of this week's International Financial Crime Symposium with speeches by Lisa Osofsky of the SFO and Max Hill of the DPP. Let's start with sanctions first of all. The Treasury's Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation, or OFSI, which undertakes a review of its records annually in relation to assets frozen following the imposition of sanctions, has issued a request to all persons that hold or control funds or economic resources belonging to, owned, held or controlled by a designated person to provide a report to us, that is OFSI, with the details of those assets. The report should be submitted to OFSI by Friday the 11th of November 2022. The link to the document is available in the podcast description. In issue 4 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, we talked about a consultation which was launched by the Financial Conduct Authority on the protection of funds in certain investment vehicles linked to Russia, which were compromised following the imposition of sanctions. The consultation proposed that affected investments be moved to what it labels side pockets, allowing those investments to be separated from other investments in the fund. Well, this week, the Financial Conduct Authority has published an explainer on side pockets on its website with everything that anybody involved might need to know. Again, the link is available in the podcast description. And finally, on sanctions this week, Sarah Pritchard, Executive Director of Markets, gave a speech at the Financial Crime Summit, which was held in London. The speech was wide-ranging, and I'll mention other aspects of it later in today's episode. In relation to sanctions, she reported that work is ongoing, where they are using data and intelligence to identify firms with potential weaknesses in controls, and then using data tools to test the effectiveness of those firms' sanction screening systems, and at a pace. Further, they have undertaken quotes to warn firms that they that if they use vendor solutions for their sanction screening processes, they need to make sure that those solutions are tailored and suitable for their customer and business profiles. That's it for sanctions. I said it's getting quieter and quieter, and it really is. Let's turn our attention to fraud this week, and there's a good range of stories. First, The Financial Ombudsman Service, the FOS, has published an investment scam data document which shows that investment scams are on the increase. Of course, we probably could all guess that, certainly anybody who's involved in fraud of any kind. The Financial Ombudsman Service received 1,900 complaints about such scams in the period from the 1st of April to the 30th of June 2022 of which 570 were specifically investment scams. This represents an increase from 500 in the same period for 2021. All other forms of scam measured showed a fall, including impersonation scams, scams concerning the purchase of goods not received, and, of course, romance scams, which we've mentioned in the past on the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. Around one-fifth 
of the investment scams were scams relating to cryptocurrencies. Uh, the full output from the FSO is available in the link in the podcast description. Now, this next story, well, I want to go back a bit because I was reminded it, uh, of it by a research paper I delivered during a recent event at work this week. And because this week also the Treasury Select Committee published a letter which it received from the Financial Conduct Authority relating to the Financial Conduct Authority's 2021-2022 annual report and accounts. The letter references the engagement between the Financial Conduct Authority and big tech, you know, big tech companies. From the FCA annual report for 2021, we see the following. This is a direct quote. The adverts that big tech platforms carry can lead to vulnerable customers being defrauded of their life savings. We lack formal oversight here, but make clear we will find a way to take action if platforms do not address this. Our engagement ensured Google changed its policy to better protect customers. Meta and Twitter have promised to do the same, and we worked with the government to include financial crime in upcoming legislation to tackle online harm. That in itself isn't startling, but linked to earlier stories in July and August this year makes me wonder whether more work is being done in the background in terms of lobbying and development of law and policy. There were rumblings over the summer relating to the operations of big tech. There were articles in the FT and other um, mainstream media. And whether big tech should be required to bear some of the burden of the losses to which banks are exposed and which to a degree banks have to pay under the agreed voluntary code which they have signed up to. Banks have had to shoulder the burden of the losses to the tune of over £450 million in the 2020-2021 financial year and they're less than happy about it. They think that the model that should be adopted is one of so-called polluter pays. They cause the problem so therefore they're the ones who should shoulder the bill. I'll be looking out for this more and more because I suspect efforts are going on in the background to see that there is more movement to hold big tech to account. The principle is, really, they take the benefit, so they should be shouldering some of the burden. Now, in her wide-ranging speech to the Financial Crime Summit this week, which I mentioned earlier in relation to sanctions, Sarah Pritchard identified some fraud threats significantly she mentioned the cost of living. The concern is that scammers will seek to exploit vulnerabilities during the cost of living crisis to commit fraud. She indicated that they'd already, and this is a quote, seeing more scams relating to loan fee fraud, ghost broking, and false access to rebates from utility companies. And that's a particularly pernicious one, I think. They also anticipate the increase in recruitment of money mules to launder funds through their account in return for a fee. This can come as no surprise to anyone with more than a passing interest in fraud over the last few years. Scammers have always looked to exploit the vulnerable at difficult times, whether it's romance scammers pulling on heartstrings or COVID-19 scammers selling fake tests online, which happened during the pandemic, and those doing it on a more industrial scale, certainly COVID-19 scamming, uh, by scamming the, the, the COVID-19 bounce-back schemes, which I'll say a bit more about in a moment. As ever, if something looks too good to be true, it almost certainly is too good to be true. 
always double check the, the veracity of something. I think that's good advice for anybody. Contact is made, which purports to be from an energy supplier, for example, which at the moment is particularly pressing, given the rise in energy costs. Especially if it purports to be a rebate, first, don't believe it at face value. Secondly, contact your energy supplier through the number on their official website, not any number that you might have received in a text message or a link in an email or something like that. Thirdly, if it's a rebate due because of a surplus on your account, might just be better to leave it there and set it off against any upcoming price increase. Stay safe, take care. And finally this week, the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy has confirmed the content of a story which we trailed in last week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast, namely the scale of suspected fraud in the bounce back 19 loan scheme, uh, COVID-19 bounce back loan scheme. The total drawdown value, which is suspected to relate to fraudulent transactions, is £1.1 billion of the total drawn value of something like £46 billion. However, the data is merely an indicator of the suspected fraud and is subject to change as lenders review cases. The full breakdown of the data is available again at the link in the podcast description. Now, we end today's Financial Crime Weekly podcast by looking at a couple of stories that have been trailed in the professional and mainstream media uh, from the Cambridge International Symposium on Economic Crime, which has been running this week in Cambridge. It's a conference which attracts the great and the good of financial crime with uh, a mixture of practitioners, academics and others. Now, given its reputation, it attracts some real big hitters and the keynote this year was delivered by Lisa Osofsky, the director of the Serious Fraud Office. The speech reflected on the progress made on the priorities set out by the SFO in 2018. The symposium was reminded that they were, first of all, being proactive and confident, especially in terms of case progression, the better use of technology in cases, investing in relationships and international collaboration, and building their intelligence capability. Broadly, there was good progress being made in relation to the objectives, and successes were highlighted, many of which we've covered in the Financial Crime Weekly podcast over recent months. Of greater interest is mapping out for the future, since there is, as Osofsky said, plenty still to do. As the director pointed out, she will continue to push the priorities identified, as well as one of the big priorities for the year, ahead being the significant challenges of disclosure for law enforcement in data-rich, document-heavy cases and the rebalancing of the system for victims and justice. The problem was starkly highlighted in the speech where she said as follows, the disclosure, the current disclosure framework was designed before the advent of mass digital data, when there was far less material for investigators and prosecutors to deal with. Now, a standard SFO cases material, if printed, could fill up to 22 London buses, presumably the double-decker ones. The documents run into many millions with complex digital data across many different devices. Yet the regime still demands manual review and description of documents. This can take years, with victims waiting for a resolution, waiting for their day in court. The system also runs a deep risk of human error. Despite requiring the manual review of each document, the defence can use a mistake which is capable of correction 
to mount tactical challenges to our cases. And as we saw in Serco, which is one of the cases that was um, highlighted for a collapse earlier this year, it can mean that a case we've worked on for years collapses. To say this is disappointing would be an understatement. So I think you can look out, certainly look out, for more effort in that direction from the Serious Fraud Office. The speech, full speech, is available at the link in the podcast description. Also delivering a speech at the symposium was the Director of Public Prosecutions, Max Hill, Casey, Casey, because of course all the designations have changed in uh, England and Wales following the passing of the Queen. So Max Hill Casey delivered a speech. Now the speech covered again a broad range of issues including reflections on corruption, asset recovery and work on sanctions and the, the tidbits mentioned can be seen in the speech so you can have a look at those. However, of more interest certainly to me was in, was in relation to what was said on what more could be done. First, there was consideration of misconduct in public office something I know people have raised in the last few years. Reflecting particularly on the Law Commission's 2020 proposals for reform of this area, particularly in the creation of a statutory offence of corruption in public office. And secondly, I suppose echoing the keynote of Lisa Osofsky, the director of the Serious Fraud Office, he highlighted disclosure issues. But to my mind, the most interesting element was the possible reform to corporate criminal liability. Now, there are various agencies looking at this. He was concerned to see, Max Hill, concerned to see that the legislative framework allows for the effective prosecution of corporations, which is frequently a challenge in the United Kingdom, especially with the, what he describes as, quotes, restrictive application of the identification doctrine. He highlighted the corporate offence of failure to prevent bribery under Section 7 of the Bribery Act 2010, which he described as the gold standard offence of strict liability, albeit subject to the Defence of Adequate Procedures. Now, the Section 7 offence has been used quite effectively recently, particularly with a deferred prosecution agreement allied to it. Now, given the gold standard of the approach under Section 7 of the Bribery Act, uh, Mill, uh, um, Max Hills has stated that that is a reason to support expansion of the existing failure to prevent model to wider economic crimes, specifically to fraud, including Section 4 of the Fraud Act, uh, that is, fraud by abuse of position. This approach, he said, would be more effective in identifying and prosecuting the true criminality of any given case. Our prosecution experience tells us that cases are not always clear-cut. What may be corruption may also be fraud and vice versa. Our prosecutors will always look to ensure that a charge reflects the true criminality. An extension of the failure to prevent model to fraud would therefore be a welcome addition, he says, to the tools available for prosecutors to to ensure that all those involved in wrongdoing are brought to justice certainly look for more movement in this area as the various consultations into the reform to corporate criminal liability are um, continue over the next few months and years. The full speech given at the conference is available in the link at the podcast description. That's it for this week in Financial Crime. 
If you want to do so, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again next Sunday with the usual roundup of all things financial crime. Have a great week, everybody. Bye.